Baseball season's almost here, and there's never been a better time to check out DraftKings.com, America's favorite daily fantasy baseball site, where you could win huge cash prizes every day. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitment. Every time you play, it's like a new season. Head to DraftKings.com now and use code ATHLETE to play for free in the opening day $100,000 fantasy baseball contest. First place takes home ten grand. Enter ATHLETE for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Hey, this is Brian. Uh, the podcast is going to start soon with Eddie Burns. And uh, I love this conversation that Eddie and I had. I got so involved in the combo, though, that I forgot to mention up front that as well as being a filmmaker, writer, director, actor, Eddie has recently written a book called Independent Ed. And it's all about the stuff that we're talking about, the stories he's he tells during this podcast are stories uh, that are in the book, uh, you know, with much more detail. Uh, I know this because um, cause he told me, honestly, I haven't read it yet because I've been shooting, but it is the next book I'm going to read. And I, I know from the way Eddie tells stories that the book's awesome. And he didn't ask me to say this up front, but at the end, when it comes up, I realized that I'd neglected to ask him about it. And that wasn't cool. Uh, the book is out now. You can get it in bookstores or online. Uh, independent ed. One other thing before we start, which is if you're listening to this podcast, thank you very much. Um, you please subscribe to it. Subscribe to the feed, the moment with Brian Koppelman that, um, ensures that you will always uh, get episodes of the show and you won't miss any or won't be hidden in the other feed. So, um, please subscribe and, uh, spread the word about it. If you're listening to the show and digging it, please tell a friend to subscribe to the moment too. Um, I won't say the moment with Brian Koppelman again, because saying your own name like that, even if it's the title of something feels like talking in the third person, which just feels wrong to me. So I won't do it. The moment with Brian Koppelman, that's what you have to subscribe to. Okay. Thanks. Eddie will be here in a second. He already was here, but you have to say that um, at the beginning. So Eddie Burns, any second now. Warning. This podcast may contain mature language. So if you're not comfortable with that, earmuffs. And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, uh, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I'm sitting here with Eddie Burns, who's um, one of the most accomplished people who's sat here across from me. I'll, I'll tell you in a second, if you don't know who he is, um, and it's not the Ed Burns who uh, was partners on The Wire. It's the Eddie Burns who was famous before that, you know, guy uh, took your name. I know he's older than you. Um, but uh, but I once tanked Eddie uh, the only speech in my life I've ever, I ever really tanked was, you know, my best friend, my lifelong creative partner and best friend at his wedding. I thought, oh, because it's Dave, I don't need to write the speech. Mm. I can just show up. Yeah. That's a disastrous yeah. move. Yeah. I, so, tried, I tried to, I wrote a speech for my brother's wedding. Yeah, for Brian? Uh, yeah, for Brian. Yeah, you know Brian. And um, again, to that point, like, oh, well, if someone wrote you the material, could you do it? The speech on paper, I thought was pretty funny. Having to stand up and deliver in front of the crowd, oh, no. it just fell it flat. Died. Cause I, and you, should, you would think, like, as an actor, you know what it's like to commit to the scene. You got it. I couldn't commit to the guy who knows how to give a good speech. Oh, that's miserable. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a miserable feeling. I just remember standing up there, looking at Dave, his wife, who I love, my wife, and just knowing I was just not rising to the yeah, occasion. And I right. never, I've never even given like 
I'm happy to throw the speech out and go extemporaneously as you would be. Yeah. But I've never gotten up in front of an audience where I at least hadn't spent two hours. Like, oh, yeah. You know, one, an hour writing what I was going to say just so I'd know. Um, it's a miserable feeling. But um, so, Eddie Burns, thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. And, and thanks for. Uh, it was so cool when you know you you, uh, you and I have been like internet friends for a while, but uh, it was so cool when you reached out to tell me that you listened to this show and your brother does. I'm trying to forget the first one. I know Doug Allen was an early one that I listened to, um, but there was. I feel like someone turned me on very early. The Probably second or maybe third your brother one, did or something, but um, or maybe Harrop, maybe Mike Harrop, who's worked with both of yeah. us. Um, but I, I, I have to say, because, you know, you have been, have absolutely been like an, an influence and an inspiration to me. So, and to many, I mean, to many people, and I, I want to talk about that. Um, some of, some of Eddie's movies, you know, um, uh, the brothers McMullen, which won Sundance and put, put you on the map as a, an independent filmmaker. And since then you've made what, like 10 movies as a director. Yeah. Uh, and then you really, and, and I've read articles and seen interviews that we've talked about, how after Brothers McMullen, it took a long time for you to kind of find your creative footing again. Yeah. But the amazing thing for me was when I saw the movie Newlyweds, um, and which, where I felt you really, you'd been trying to figure out a new sort of modality for making films. And you made this movie for nothing. And I think it is one of the, the best um, movies about marriage, love, and relationships um, in these times that's come come around in the last 10 or, or 15 oh, years. Thank you, man. Um, and I remember being so happy. I went to the premiere of that film at, at Tribeca, and I remember thinking, like, look at that. Like, what an inspiring thing that you completely refound your voice. And yeah. we'll talk about sort of the ride, but as you were doing that, I mean, did it feel to you like you were refinding, like, your, your purpose as an artist? You know, no. I mean, the, that movie came about in sort of a weird way because... Prior to that, I met, the year before, I made another little movie called Nice Guy Johnny. Yeah, Nice Guy Johnny, which, yeah. which is a movie that it reflects the old, which it was in a way a return to the themes of your early movies, uh, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 no, absolutely was. Um, so that movie was made because the movie I made before that, this movie called Purple Violets, yeah. I made two movies back to back, like in 05, 06, The Groomsman and Purple Violets. Neither film, they each had sort of, let's say, more real budgets, three and four million respectively. But, you know, a, a full-size crew shooting in New York, union film, um, and both were uh, critical and commercial disasters. And then I'm basically put in director's right. jail, you know. Um, and I realize, all right, maybe I've been doing this kind of storytelling for too long, you know, sort of these... New York-based walk-and-talk stories that aren't comedies and they're not dramas. So I was like, I, I, I've got to reinvent myself. And, you know, I mean, as a kid in film school, uh, you know, the movies I loved, I mean, I always loved Woody Allen, which is why, you know, I've kind of sure. done that thing. But, I mean, Scorsese, Coppola, I mean, you know, like I wanted to make Mean Streets just as badly as I wanted to make a version of Annie Hall. Right. So I thought, well, let me try and pivot here. You know, I'll, I'll try and write like a more muscular screenplay. Right. I'm not going to try and do a little New York indie. I'll try and make a studio film in that vein. Yeah. And I probably wrote three different screenplays over the course of the next three or four years and couldn't get any of them off the ground. Try, you tried. Oh, yeah, tried yeah, to yeah. Go, you, know, you mean try to go like the real Hollywood route? Or you know, try tried to, go, to get an actor attached. And in some cases, we were able to put together, you know, a nice size 
um, a, a nice little cast. Now, when, when you were writing things like that, uh, because it sounds like a very kind of an outside-in approach, you were like, I have to change the thing I'm doing, and it almost sounds calculated in a way. Was it? Or were no, you no, tapping my, into something that you cared about? No, when I go to Sundance, you know, I, the first thing I remember, I did an, uh, an interview with, um, with Bernie Taubin, who used to be at the Times. So is that his name? I'm not sure. I think, all right. That, that sounds so like anyhow, the guy who wrote songs with Helen yeah. John. Bernie Maybe Taubin. that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyhow, I do, I do the first interview with the New York Times, and it's like, well, what's your dream project? Right. The dream project's always been the same thing. You know, my old man was a cop in New yes. York. I wanted to do the Irish-American Godfather, the right. multi-generational look at cops and their families. Um, and, you know, which you're doing now on which public I'm morals. To, it's funny that I got to go full. So I write that film. I mean, there's a long story attached to, uh, on the set of Private Ryan. Spielberg meets my old man and my uncle. They're telling him these great old stories right. about what it was like to be a cop back then. He says, that's the movie you have to make. He then pays me to write a script for DreamWorks, which we almost get made. We make a big offer to Michael Douglas, who I know you worked with. Yeah. Michael passes, and then the movie dies. Then over the course, and that's 98, maybe right after Ryan. So I'd say every three years, I go back to that script and I try to reboot it. I do another couple of polishes. I go from, all right, it's period. Everyone says you can't get a period movie made, so I'll do the commercial version. So then I kind of rework the script to make it commercial. How do you fire yourself up to keep going? What choice do you have? Well, I mean, so I'm, that's how you look. But some people look, make another choice to go, oh, they, 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 they tell me it's no good. I'm no, done. No, 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 no. My thing has always been, and I'm lucky in that I like to write. Okay. I mean, I'm just, it's every day, it's not a problem. I do the same routine every morning. 9.30, I sit down, I open the laptop to 1.30, I'm going. Doesn't matter if I think it's shit. If I, you know, if I'm in a good groove or it's like pushing the boulder up the hill, I just commit. You generate pages, actual pages of dialogue. And I don't even concern myself. I, even when it's garbage, I don't stop to reread it. I don't stop to really think about it. I'm like, I will just, you know, uh, it's like, you know, my dad always used to say, you know, uh, head down, ass up and just keep moving forward. And that was it. Every writer should have that tape (laughs) right above their computer for real. Yeah. So, so then what I would discover, sorry, I'll t- interrupt you, but then I would discover you do that for four hours. You think it's garbage, but I made a commitment to myself a long time ago. Who cares if it's garbage? I'm not going to share this with anyone. No one is ever going to see this if it's garbage. If I'm a guy who's a songwriter yeah. and I sit down with the guitar and you're noodling around, you're not like, oh my God, I can't even hit the first note if it's not brilliant because I need to write a brilliant song. But writers, especially with dialogue, you get frozen, like, oh, no, that's not a good line of dialogue. I can't write anything until I write the great line of dialogue. And you can see how paralyzing that is. It's totally, completely uh, paralytic. Yeah. 100% can't then, stop you. So you force yourself. Force yourself. Then you go and reread it the next. So then the next day, Yo. I go back and I, I, I reread the garbage that I wrote before. And let's say it's four pages of what I thought was garbage. Somewhere in the middle, when you turn this thing off and you weren't thinking... And the story took over. Like, oh wow, I got to pay. I got I got two scenes in the middle of this thing that are pretty good. Yes, I can build off of that, 100%. and that's the process every day. I mean, that's I, you know, I I believe exactly what you do yeah. about that. Um, you you got to get in there and generate the pages and turn off the critical part of your brain, and then yeah, somewhere in there is something, and then you eventually find the thread and you keep. I mean, you press forward. Yeah. But so here, you'd written this thing. Just talking yeah. about these years before you got to Nice Guy. And, yeah. And, yeah. Um, so I've written, I've written that thing. So that's always been the dream project. Like I wanted to do that. Um, 
so tried a couple of different times. I said over the years, couldn't couldn't get it going. So then I was like, all right, well, what are what are the other things I'm obsessed with? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm obsessed with, you know, New York cops, Hell's Kitchen, the West Side gangsters. You know, when I'm reading, it's like right now I'm reading a book called Is it The Shining City. It's a new book about basically Midtown, and it's you know it's. Oni Madden and, you know, uh, the Irish gangs on the West Side pre-prohibition. It's the, yeah, it's, it's all, just the I stuff mean, that I read for fun. Uh, it's the, uh, it's, yeah, it's all incredibly great stuff. Yeah. All, by the way, that whole time, I mean, from then all the way up through Mickey Spillane and, you know, all the stuff that Bobby and Tom Kelly used to all yeah. talk about. Colin, all those guys yeah. like lived and watched and yeah. talk about. Obsessed with all of it. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a script in there that we tried to start to write. When I say we, I, I think you know Aaron Lubin, who produces all my stuff, about uh, Jimmy Walker, the old mayor of New York. Yeah. Uh, there was a project at one point, uh, William Kennedy's novel, Legs. Uh, Kennedy and I did an adaptation together oh. on legs. My dream project is, is legs. Billy Phelan's greatest. Oh man. yeah, yeah, the that'd second, be a great book one. Right after yeah. legs. Yeah. I mean, and I've met. I spent one of the Dave and I spent did one of the great days Albany? of my life in Albany. Shoot pool with him in his house, or the one, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, we sat outdoors at that table and had one of those incredible days. Yeah. Then he walked us through. We went. Then we went. So we were in the country house, and then right. we walked through the. You know the townhouse that he has in Albany, where where, where legs got killed. Where legs got killed, yeah. and um, um, so good. If people don't know the Albany cycle, oh, you gotta. There's nothing better than the books that William Kennedy wrote. I think he's the great sort of yeah. less. You know, he's a guy who should win the Nobel Prize, and people don't really know. Well, those first three, right? Is it is it Phelan's greatest game, legs, legs and then Ironweed, yeah, right? Iron yeah, Ironweed's third. Yeah. Oh no, Flynn's game, right? Ironweed, then Flynn's game. Oh, okay. All yeah, right. maybe one of those. I forget if it's Flynn's game and then Ironweed, but yes. Those books, those that are, cycle of books yeah. is just incredible, crazy. Um, crazy. So that's the incredible. kind of stuff like I was obsessed with. So then when it's time to sort of pivot, I'm like, well, you know, right towards your passions. Yeah. So I wrote a film called Stoolie about a stool pigeon on the west side that basically, you know, dropped the dime on somebody and had to get out of town. But his father now has died and he wants to come back for his father's wake. And everyone gets wind that, you know, Joe Blow is back in town and everything that happens after that. And we put together a great indie film cast. And we're thinking, you know, we can get about six million for this. So I'm not thinking 35 million. Who would you put together? I'd rather not say the actors, but like actors that if I, I told you, you'd be like, yeah, well, yeah, you can make that movie. You make that movie for six. Yeah. So we apparently I'm the only one that thinks that. So then they say, maybe we should think about four, get it down to three, get it down to two cannot get anyone and it has nothing to do with the cast at that point it has to do with me as a filmmaker oh no one will, no one has no, faith that you can pull this thing off at that moment because you had these two i got i got a string of bombs at this point you know right. i mean sidewalks of new york is 2000 that did well but then after that right i'm i'm you know i'm i'm not you know i'm probably oh for four after but that. you didn't believe now what was your mental state then about this stuff so my mental state at that point was i'm like i'm confident that we can get this done and I also know how to make a movie for McMullen for $25,000 or yes. Sidewalks for a million. So I'm like, all right, it's not going to be the best version of Stooley, but for two, I bet you we can do a version of this in 18 days and get and it done. And as you're hearing from like agents and stuff that the business, as you're picking up, because they'll never tell you exactly, because yeah. you're starting to, starting to realize, oh, these people forgot who yeah, I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. Does it hurt you or uh, do you yeah. turn that off? I Does turn it... that into, you know, I just, uh, on on Grantland, did you listen to Kobe was interviewed by uh, Simmons? No, not yet, but I read, um, Simmons, I read yeah, the Henry article Rose. recently about 
Kobe. But where Kobe he talks, talks about, about like Scott Rav interview. He tells a great story about after he leaves Italy, he comes back to I don't know. I forget. It was Philly? Maybe is that where he grew up? Yeah, in the Lower Marion. He went to Lower Marion. All right. Yeah. So he goes to Philly. Philly, and there's some kid who gives him some shit because he's like the new kid back, and his English is spotty and all that. And he says, "Oh, you think you can hoop?" And Kobe talks about, and this guy was like the big, the hoop yeah. star. And I, don't, I forget how old he was. Maybe he's in high school or something like that. And he says, you know, we went out and he goes, I destroyed this guy. And he says, right. uh, and it's the first time in my life I played with anger. And that's what, and, and he talks about how that competitive side of him is what fuels the way he is so committed and he works so. So you turn rejection into So I've always anger. done. Like after Brothers McMullen, like I can remember, I wrote five or six scripts before McMullen. Yeah. And I just got rejection letter after rejection letter back. Like, I mean, hundreds of rejection letters. So I was always like, you mother effers, I, will sh- I can do this. So I always used the chip on my shoulder, the angry Where do you think you got that confidence from? Do you know? Is it from, just from your parents? From-, from my from my parents. I mean, they always had a, I got lucky. They had a lot of faith in me. When I said I want to be a writer, you know, they were like, absolutely, go for it. Um, were you it, always like when you were in English class? Did the teacher say, "Oh, you're good at this"? Like, yeah, I knew. never. But I could never. Like in high school, I remember. I, you know, I couldn't tell anyone I wanted to be a writer. I would be, you know, they would have laughed, laughed out of the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I even wrote a, a like my. I had a teacher, Mrs. Maxwell or Miss Maxwell, uh, my senior year of high school, and I wrote a, like a sensitive short story. Yeah. And she's like, "Oh, this is terrific! I want to publish it in the sort of the literary magazine that we published at the end of the school year." Yeah. And I was like, all right, you can, but do not put my name on it. I don't want my, you can publish it if you want, but I don't want anyone to know that I wrote this thing. And she said, okay. And then, you know, six months later at the end of the year, it comes out with my name on it. And did you get a lot of And then the reaction was all of a sudden these girls read it. They were like, oh, I didn't know. Like, so they looked at me a little differently. I said, oh, maybe there is a Maybe it's not bad. You know, it's like the kid in the college dorm with the guitar. It's like, oh, yeah, there's something to that. At the right time, it's a powerful weapon. At the wrong time, it's going to get your butt kicked, for sure. Um, In Valley Stream, uh, definitely. It's not like growing up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, you know, now. And this was, you know, 25 yeah, it was uh, yeah years ago. It was a uh, different All time. Really. Irish and Italian tough guys looking to kick your ass. Yeah, I mean, I grew. I, I had good buddies who grew up there. I had. Even, I mean, they went to your high school. Oh, and okay. They were, you know, great guys, but like, you know, yeah. they were they were tough guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so you, um, but, but when you met made made brothers McMullen, and people may not really understand this that in '95, making a movie like that, there were people who did it, like. Um, you know, Rob Weiss had made his movie around yeah. the same time, and Steven Soderbergh had made the movie. I uh, would a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Sex Lies is eighty nine. Right. You know. So, but still, that 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 kind of independent business was like six years old, and it really even those people had different kind of accreditation in a way. That, yeah. Then then um, well, the guys I looked to was like Nick Gomez, who did Laws yeah, of Gravity. Sure. That was like thirty three thousand dollars. Rodriguez's El Mariachi Seven. Yes. Uh, Hal Hartley, another Long Island guy, Unbelievable Truth, I think it was 50000 So I was looking, I can remember as I'm thinking, of, after I get all the rejection letters back on the scripts, I realize, all right, I got to go make a feature. I, uh, there was an article in Filmmaker Magazine from way back then that went through the budgets of Laws of Gravity. Right. Um, the Living End, the Greg Araki movie, do you remember yeah. that one? That one oh, yeah, so, I remember the, yeah, for sure. And that was another like under 50000 So I was like, wait a second, the ticket in is not to sell the script. You got to go make the low budget movie because I knew I wanted right. to be a writer director. No, because even the year—it's interesting—the year you were there, 
there was a Tom DeCillo movie. Yep. Tom yep. Noonan's second movie. Yep. And his first one had won That's uh, right. Sundance, which was another a movie made for almost nothing. Yeah. But uh, your story still, because you were like this tough Long Island kid, it read differently, didn't it? Than like sort of the stories from these other people. Hmm. I mean, um, even the Nick Gomes I didn't have a jerk. hook at all, and I didn't know a lawyer who cut the check for 150 grand. Yeah, you were kind of just out there with this, this idea that you could prove something, and then you went on this incredible run, and then you found yourself. But then the run ended in this <laughs> in this spot. Yeah. But you still had the capacity um, to like get angry again and go, "I got to prove it again." To oh, these big people. time! I think even more so. You know, because I had gotten a taste. I had been there. And then, you know, it's, it's one thing when no one knows who the hell you are and they're not giving you a shot. When you, you kind of know, like, A, you know you can do it. B, they now, you know, like, let's say they want to, you know, crap on an earlier success. I mean, there was definitely a lot of, ah, McMullen sucks. That wasn't so great. You know, kind of like a little bit. There was definitely, I was catching some of that. Well, you have to be somebody who wants to feel angry, to like look for the negatives on that movie. Like you could find other movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know they're out there. This business is filled oh, with people uh, who are always hating on everybody else. Oh, sure. I think you're overrated and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, all the time. Yeah. But you know, generally that thing launched you like, you launched yourself like I, a rocket yeah, yeah, ship yeah, yeah. out of that. Yeah. Um, and, um, but so then, okay, you can't, you try to, you say $2 million, I can make this, right. this stoolie movie. Stoolie. So, um, and you were able to keep your actors together for $2 million? Everyone was willing yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody was, so, everybody dug the script. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, maybe there was one actress we had to sort of, she dropped out. We pulled in maybe Jennifer Esposito maybe came in at that point. Right. Um, so we finally, my agent's calling, we got somebody. Uh, and it's a guy who, um, had produced some movies like like B action, B horror stuff, and it's an office up in the hills. Um, so me and Aaron, we drive up there, we sit down at this meeting, and immediately I know like, oh wait, we're, we're at the bottom of the barrel here. Oh. Like this is this is like really sketchy, and this is not someone I really want to make my movie with. And then his like production team comes in, and then. During that meeting, they start to tell me how to make a movie for $2 million and what I need to do. And in order to do this, you know, you don't understand, Eddie. And I'm like, you who mean are the these? production realities of like all yeah, sort of yeah, BS yeah, like, production realities? Yeah. Um, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in shock. Like, I almost dummy up during the meeting. Because I'm say, just like, like, in the meeting, you're going This to needs work. to just end. Would de- like, basically, the minute the guy oh. opened his mouth, I'm like, all right, you're dead to me. You're never touching this script. I know everybody thinks it's dog shit right now, but trust me, it'll get made one day. That's a not terrible with you guys. feeling when you're in one of those rooms, <sighs> especially real. when you're in one of those rooms and like um, you could feel that you could say these couple of things to get the yes. Yeah. But it won't exactly be the yes. No. It won't, and the discipline to say no is very hard. No, and there was no even like a, an actress who clearly had recently gotten off the pole. You know, we right. think she could be great for this oh, part. Yeah. So it was, it was, the whole thing was ugly. Me and Aaron get in the car. We drive back to the hotel I'm staying at, and we go for a drink in the bar, and I'm, like, I'm in shock. Now I'm scared. You know, now I don't have the anger. You know, now I'm like, I have been right. knocked back down. And I'm, oh, I'm like, I, I, like I said, I don't understand this. Like, you know, 1995, I'm Brothers McMullen. Now we're dead. Like, we, this, the, the career is over. So we got to re rethink this whole thing. And then I started thinking, well, 
you know, I could probably, you know, because over the years there would be uh, interesting. Now, are you married then? At that oh, yeah, point? I'm married. I have with kids. kids. I'm saying yeah, you're yeah, married yeah. with kids. No, it's scary. Yeah, and, and mortgages, and, right, the, whole yeah, the whole deal. Um, you're at a position where you're like, look, you guys both have done well, but still. Uh, you still need to earn. You still need to like, yeah, no, you still need to like to keep yeah. your life and no, not. And can, I'm at. I'm and at, you're an artist trying to do your thing. And I'm probably on year three now. Of no work. Since of no work. Not acting because you're not taking the acting jobs. Uh, you know, because the acting, you know, like it's, you know, you lose all your heat. Yes. So the acting jobs, you know, if you go look at my IMDb page and you see that movie I made in Bulgaria sometime, it probably happened right about this time. Right. You know? Yes. Nice people. I was happy for the paycheck, but not what you dreamed of when you were a kid in film school. Right. <laughs> no, yeah. No, nice that it was there to go nice, to. Absolutely. And, and gives you the sense of, hey, I'm out there. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm working, but you're a filmmaker and you're not able to make. That may films. Get the film made. So what starts going through your head? So I get, the first thought is, all right, over the years, they've always said, you know, why don't you just forget about the indie thing? Just be a director for hire. Go direct a Hollywood romantic comedy. Like, at that, for years, the agents have saying, like, that's just, right. a, that's a no-brainer. Like, you're a nice guy. You know how to make movies. You'll make yourself a nice paycheck. Just do some schlocky rom-com for the studios. So I called up my agents. That was sort of one of the first decisions. I was like, all right, maybe I should consider that. Um, this is wild, this whole $2 million, but when we're getting down to that. Yeah. And I had looked at some scripts, and there was one where I was like, oh, maybe I could get my head around making this. So I was, I was kind of on the fence. Um, but it's weird, because you thought of yourself as a writer. Like, I always figured I'm, you I'm think of yourself first. as a writer, director, actor. But you're, you, 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 I'm thinking mortgages. Of course, yeah. yeah. I'm going to go do my, yeah, 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 of course. And I think, well, if I do this once, you know, who's really keeping score? If the movie works then maybe I can parlay that back into yes. getting one of my films made. But rather than do that, we sit down and I'm like, you know, we're, we're talking about Brothers McMullen and the, the absurdity of 12 years later, here it is and it's over. Um, and I was like, you know what's nuts about McMullen? At that time, I don't know anyone in Hollywood. I don't know how to make a movie. I have no money. My dad has no money. I don't know a single person who owns a camera. I went to, you know, Hunter College, which had no film department. You know, they had right. one old CP-16. It was the one camera they had. I was like, but somehow, I still was able to make that movie. And to this day, it's still my most successful film. So I said, why don't we just go and do that again? So on a napkin there at the bar, we wrote down, you know, we called it McMullen 2.0. And we wrote down awesome. what we were going to do. So it had to be $25,000 to get in the can. Couldn't shoot. 25, me. even though it was 10 years later, you weren't going to spend any gonna, more money. Yeah. 25, 12 days of shooting. Um, actors had to do all their own hair and makeup, wear their own clothes, three man crew, all locations for free. I had to shoot one scene in my parents' house, you know, because McMullen, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, of course. Too. So we wrote down all of these things. Um, and then based on that, I, we said, all right, well, what, what locations can we get for free? Kind of like I did with McMullen. Started to list those. And from that, started to map out a script. And that turned into Nice Guy Johnny. Right. So. Right. You're Ham Hampton's house, restaurant that a friend of yours owned, apartment in the city, um, a house out in the, out in the, house in the suburbs, yep. beaches, uh, uh, tennis court, either yours tennis or Tennis court, bar at a friend's house, you know, right. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then we also knew, all right, so 25 to get in the can. At the end of the day with post-production, it ended up costing 125 Right. The one silver lining that came from the disappointment of Purple Violence, which is the movie I made in 07, was released in 08. 
at that time, I don't know if you guys ever had to deal with this, with those indie films when you were raising your money through either uh, investors or um, uh, foreign pre-sales, you know, you go make your movie and then you take it out on the market to sell it at a film festival. At this point... For distribution. For distribution. You've raised the money both foreign and sometimes with like... um you know, investors, yeah. but then to get the movie distributed on theaters or VOD, you go to yeah. festivals. Now, at that time, VOD isn't an option. Like in, at, in 08, oh, right. cause, so this is what happens. We get offered what they were calling a um, no advance partnership. You know, Think Film will, or, you know, whoever it was, will buy your film for nothing. And then when it turns a profit, they'll split the profits 50-50. And that was sort of the deals that they were making from like 05, probably still to this day. Um, and I had done that with another movie of mine called Looking for Kitty. The movie cost a quarter of a million dollars. We shot it on the Panasonic 24P. We, right. Again, experimenting with like digital. Movie made a profit. We never saw a dime. Everyone that I know who's did one of those no advance partnerships never sees a dime. So I'm like, all right, well, we're not doing that deal. So what, how can I get my movie out there if I'm unwilling to sign a deal with this distribution right. company. And from just doing festivals and stuff over the years, I started to hear from people that, you know, in my movies, for the most part, never played really outside of the top 10 or 12 markets. But I played to a, a more suburban audience. So people would say, you know, I go to like Sarasota to a film festival. Sure. And they're like, oh, you know, I love your movies. But, you know, just so you know, I've never seen any of them in a movie theater. I never even hear about them. Like they show up on HBO or Showtime uh, and that's how I know who you are. So I was hearing right. enough of that that I was like, all right, my audience is not the audience that's hip and cool and at the Angelica or the equivalent of Angelica in Austin or San Fran. You know, right. like they're a little, they're, the, they're moms and dads now in their 30s out in the burbs at home watching their flat screens. And Apple had just introduced Apple TV, the movie yeah. page. So I was like, well, I'm watching movies on Apple TV. Why don't I approach Apple? So This was for Nice Guy Johnny. This is for Purple Violence ah, in, yeah. in 08. In 08, you're saying? So right. we're the first film that ever got released exclusively on iTunes without any distribution before. And you know, iTunes was happy to be like, hey, we got an exclusive. I, you know, sure. Still enough of a name where it was a little bit of a story. And the movie did great. I mean, it didn't make millions, but we did real six figures business. So then four years later, with Nice Guy Johnny, I'm like, all right, if we make this movie for 125, right. we can if real- we just do iTunes, we'll double. We'll get the 125 back and have a nice little profit. And it's interesting, at a you took, I think this is a really important thing because I'm in listening to you and I've wondered, I wrote this question down and you just spoke to it, which is for some reason, like when I'm, you name these filmmakers, you know, Iraqi or I'll say the Chilo or they're, um, these guys who made indie movies when you did, um, they were considered cool. Yeah. You didn't feel like you were given the cool points. Somehow. I wasn't given the, which you're, is you're Long Island guy making these. I'm, not, this, that's, I'm never going to be cool. Well, and yeah, but, to that, but did it, uh, it seems like somehow you were able to, um, like look at it almost as a positive. Most people I think would be just Oh man, why can't I? Why can't I be written about in that way? Yeah. Why won't film for you know? Why won't these people give me credit for like having been one of the people who invented modern independence, all this stuff? But you just went like, all right, you know what? If my audience is driving minivans in um, Sarasota or wherever, I'm not going to argue it. I'm actually, 
I'm just going to make my movie and then I'm going to sell it to those yeah. people. That's, I, I, how do you think you like, um, learn to be able to think about this as a business separately from the art thing, just by necessity? By necessity. You know, um, I remember doing, when we were doing the press for Brothers McMullen, somebody in Fox Searchlights, Searchlights press department kept talking about, you know, the, the thing that's going to help this movie. It's, you know, it's, it's the movie, but it's the story of the movie. And they said, you know, anytime you make a film, think about that. You should have the, the other story you can tell. That way you can get two articles in the New York Times. You know, you can get the review of the film, but then the, oh, you know, Brothers McMullen, he made it for 25000 You know, there's always yes. the, the other story so you can end up maybe in the business section or the fashion section. Right. Or the it, sports makes you section. it can make you review proof in a way. Um, no, I saw it um, for sure. Like the, the New York Times, this movie that we just had at Sundance that my wife wrote and Sarah Silverman starred in. It never didn't get a review in the Times, but there were the story of the making the story of Sarah doing that movie got a giant article yeah. in the Times. It had to help us get the distributors to want to go see the movie, yeah. which then got the thing sold. Yeah. So that's really we didn't think of it in that way, but now I like since then watching that stuff, you know it's yeah. true. It is true. So you uh, you decide you're going to do this with nice guy Johnny too. You decide this as you're about to go make it. Yeah, when we sit down to say that, all right. What's our goal here? Like, you know, we're going to invest, you know, 25 to start. Like, my thing was, I just need to be back on set. It had been three years since I made a movie. And it's like, I just need to make a movie. And at that number, what does it matter if it stinks? If it's garbage, I'll just put it on the shelf. You know, it's not such a big and nut. And you knew you could do it in 12... You knew I can do this again. Even though I've now lived... You know, I've starred in movies with Robert De Niro and yeah. the giant trailer... I've li- you know been on. Spe- I you knew you had it in you to like um, just go. All right, I'm gonna put a camera on my shoulder. I'm gonna put it on sticks, yeah. and I'm gonna shoot the scene, and I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna f- you, like. Uh, how, how did you make yourself get ready to do it? Was part of that, and then what you were gonna write? Like you were gonna write something you knew you could shoot that. I, way? I knew I had to write something small that we could shoot that way. Uh, you know, my DP Will Rex, or a good buddy of mine, we talked about it. One thing that had happened right before. Nice guy Johnny was uh, during again maybe a year before in that in that three year window when, it was actually when we were, when I was writing Stooley, uh Will uh, I had read something about the red camera sure the Sony red yeah. and I asked him about the red he said yeah people were talking about it's supposed to be great at the time I think you know you could buy one for thirty grand so we were like all right why don't we go in together and we'll get a red anytime Will is shooting a commercial you rent the red rent out, out sure we'll, we'll learn it back but that way we have you know again. Thinking, all right, Stooley, we're going to do for two. Maybe we, if we have our, we'll shoot it on the red. Soderbergh had been shooting, oh, like yeah. your film, right? Girlfriend, yeah. I yeah. think we should. Girlfriend Experience on the red, yep. Um, so I was like, okay, so if we own it, then when we need to go out and grab pickups and things like that, we can just do some guerrilla style stuff. Sure. On the day we get it, though, um, I was writing this, again, talking about trying to make more muscular films. I was writing a, uh, a feature about a more working class Jason Bourne. Uh, which was called The Lynchpin, Dan Lynch. And he was like the gruff Irish guy who's, you know, I mean, sort of a lot of the cliched shit, but it was just fun. Yeah, you got to write that as a pulp novel, man. Uh, yeah, you should yeah, give yeah. yourself a month and write the pulp novel. <laughs> that, that would be fun. be a best-selling pulp be novel. Fun. Yeah. So I had probably 30 pages of that script done. And in it, there was a foot chase along like a crowded Manhattan street, like Canal Street. So I was like, well, why don't we just, let's grab the red camera. I'll throw on a suit. I have my, my buddy Dara. He'll play the bad guy. There's no dialogue. Let's just do a Jason Bourne-style foot chase 
through the crowd, handheld style. He was just gonna handheld follow you or you'd run towards him? No, he, we, we, did, crowd, we did the whole you... thing. So we went out for four hours on Canal Street and you know I had the, the half page beats from the script. Yeah. And we went out and we shot it. And you know, I have, I, at the time I had Final Cut um, on my computer in my office. So we yeah. like, then the workflow was a little difficult to figure it out, but we figured it out, we got it in. I'm like, oh, man, this looks incredible. So from that, while I was writing other stuff, we would go out periodically and shoot. I made a web series called The Lynchpin. Oh, I never saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. I mean, if you look at it, it cost us $3. Right. I mean, it cost the, the cost of the red camera. That's it. I mean, we did stuff where it's, it's me and Will. But you didn't know you were making a web series. You were, no, no. You no, were we, just going to... We are just shooting stuff and having fun with it. And I was right. like, all right, maybe it's a short film. And then we heard someone said web, you know, web series right. were new then. Uh, so we're like, oh, maybe, maybe it's a web series. All right, so we'll cut them down into two and a half minute episodes. And we did like 10 of them. Right. Something like that. So anyhow, um, that was so. So from that, I kind of knew, oh, I can still go out onto the streets of Manhattan with a two man crew and knock stuff off pretty uh, sort of right. pretty quickly and, and not. You know, you could have a cameraman if it was dialogue, a and, cameraman, someone to boom sound, or you could wear a lav. That's all we did, wore a lav. No lights. Yeah. At the time, no lights, and you could go shoot something. So doing that gave me the confidence to say, okay, with a little bit more preparation, a little bit more time, be smarter about the locations. Right. You were going to steal locations. We or get steal, them for, locations. steal locations and get them for free, yeah. meaning not pay location fees. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so that's what we did. That's, that's and so then you wrote Nice Guy to, to do that. You knew you were going to be the only famous person in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And you were like... Uh, that'll give me something to sell. To, and now you ended up casting it because we got to talk about Newlyweds. You ended up casting Carrie Bechet in that movie. Yeah. Um, who, who then you, you also cast in the following yep. uh, movie. And how did you find her? Was Carrie. My, I have the greatest casting director in New York, Mary Beth Fox, who works with Laura Rosenthal. Laura, Laura's great too. Laura did, been working with her since she's the one. Um, but I basically said, all right, um, I need to find unknown actors in New York who are, you know, and I'm sure you've experienced this. You're going to go cast a part, you audition someone, they're great. You take it to the studio or the network. And it's like, you know, she is terrific, but we need a name. Sure. So I was like, find me the actors who keep losing out because they're not a name yet. You know, so give me, yes. give me the, the silver medal winner. Right. That'll be good enough for our film. And it was Carrie. She came in, she Who's auditioned. Who's incredible and, and now a regular on a... On... Um, the computer, the IBM show. Yeah, Halt on, and Catch Fire, yeah. Yeah, but she's, a, she's incredible. She's, and, she's great. Um, really incredible in um, Newlyweds, too. But you, uh, you go in and make that movie, and in 12 days, you did yeah. it. And when you started filming it, when you walked on set to do it, did it feel to you like you had found, like... Uh, just a whole new method of working or no? Like first two days, just the opposite. Okay. First two days, I was like another moment of, oh, wow. Humiliation. Really? Yeah. Yeah, humiliation. That's what I want to know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it, it, was it more it? humiliation? Okay. First thing we shot, we did it two blocks south of here on Late Street. Yeah. And I don't know why I picked that location, but it was like right at rush hour as, you know, everybody's coming in or entering the Lincoln Tunnel or they're coming out of the Lincoln Tunnel. So it's like Tunnel. noisy. It's noisy. There's people from Jersey, like, like a little bit of my audience. Yeah, yo, Eddie. There's a little bit of that happening. I'm like, oh man, this is this is a disaster. What right. what have I done? Oh, oh, like the bar. You mean when you, when you guys are going to that bar on the west? It's all well, the way well, on the west so side. That we ended up. No, that that was a location too where I felt like, wow, I've fallen. <laughs> you know, I'm falling pretty far here. 
Right. But we shot that one. That, but that day, by that time, we had started to find our groove a little bit. Because we all right. had to relearn the model. It had been a long I'm, time since any of us well, had done like, the How no do you know to thing. move that quick and to get the make? Like, how do you know the actors know how to do their makeup? Yeah. Or you're looking through the red. Well, the, the great thing was they were all kids. So they, they didn't need makeup. That was also part of it. It was like, oh, well, just cast kids. They don't need makeup. Right. And were you cutting at night to try yeah. to see? You would go home and try to see, like, okay, does this make any sense? Can I make this and, work? And the first couple of scenes were just, it didn't work. It really, I was like, oh, man, maybe this isn't working. And then we had a scene that we shot at Puffy's Tavern. Yeah. And that, I think, is the first scene that we shot where it's like me and Matt Bush, the actor who played Johnny, it was like, we kind of found our rhythm together as actors. Will, I, I was going to say his crew, it was Will and Mike Harrop and another buddy, Nick. We kind of like, they figured out how we were all going to work together. And when we cut those scenes together, we we're like, ah, uh, all right, here, tonally we have it. Because we were also looking for the tone. Like, what is the, what is the comedy drama we're playing with? So we found the tone, we found the look, we found the, the kind of coverage that we needed with how, you know, again, you're shooting basically on sticks almost the whole time or right. handheld. And I didn't want to do a lot of handheld because I didn't want it to feel like... Yeah, the movie doesn't... It, the movie's not about... It's not... Um, it's like a different kind of urgency. No, it's a different kind of urgency that's yeah. going on in that, in that movie. Uh, I mean, there are some moments I know where there's handheld yeah. stuff. And then you guys stole... I mean, you grabbed the hardest thing, like those driving things, which was impossible to do, but somehow you did it yeah. even though... In on a normal movie, you can lose days to yeah. trying to capture that stuff. Right, the driving stuff, we shot so much more stuff that just didn't work for yeah. all of the reasons um, you would know. No, of course. Um, but I, so you, you're making it when you wrote it, um, just to back up for one second, you wrote it and you knew, okay, I have to be able to shoot this in a, a short period of time. Did you think, uh, did you show it to Aaron? Did you show it to yeah, so Aaron, Will? And did they, did they think, like, okay, if you nail this, this can break us out of movie. This can create a story and a new momentum. Yeah. Basically, you know, we shot the first six days, maybe over the course of two months. So it was like, all right, let's go out on a, on a Tuesday. Will's not working. I'm available. The actors are free. We'll just go shoot. We'll shoot these three scenes of Puffy's Tavern. Take that back, cut it, look at it. And we're like, oh, okay, all right. right, so that does work. So let's go two days next week. And we shoot two days next uh, week. That's super important. Like, because, you know, I, 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 a lot of the time I break things down um, in terms of the way poker players live their lives. Uh, I just always have. And um, poker players sometimes who've gotten to the next level, like let's say a guy who's playing 100-200 and then, you know, gets crushed for six months, they'll have to go back down to playing 510, right? Because mm. their bankroll doesn't support it. But a big danger is you go down... Uh, a, a level and the humiliation and then also the fact that the money doesn't feel as real to you can make you play worse you're not yourself oh, wow. you're yeah. right because think about that you know you were walking into the casino you were going to the top room they were bringing you everything you could want they were putting you up you were you know you're a rock star yeah. and then as you were or a movie star and you had this whole thing and now but you approached it it sounds to me like with just so much seriousness of purpose like you absorb the humiliation and then you were like no 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 i'm gonna shoot and cut and find a way to to i'm gonna like um it sounds like you just became extra rigorous on yourself you know as you were talking i was like you know it feels like i like i feel like it's the 
uh, end of the second act of every sports movie. Right. You know, like they were going to win the championship, they lost. Now you got to go through the training montage. Yeah. You know? It was like there was a little bit of that happening. But what? So what happens is, so we do that, and you we start to cut these scenes together, and we almost. We were looking at it like, oh, wait, this works. And these young actors we found, they're great. And for me as an actor, like after doing a lot, some schlocky studio stuff, I'm with these young kids. Like this is the first movie they've ever been in. So they're coming like, they're, nobody's going up on a line. Right. Everybody's coming in prepared, ready. This is their opportunity to do it. Yes. So for me as an actor, I'm like, oh, wait a second. You're, you're here to play ball. I'm like, in. I'm, I better be in because you're going to embarrass me off the screen if I'm not in. Right. And so then you get charged by that as as and in as that an movie actor. too you had to have an, you're in a position of authority you're yeah. trying to show this kid the way so like you had to have all that. I think that's why those early scenes that didn't end up in the film weren't any good because I wasn't fully in I you wasn't fully it. buying that this experiment would work so then so you after, had to make yourself would you show it to your wife at home yeah 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 you would no, but not that early stuff I knew the early stuff wasn't good at a certain point I had to make the and I had to make the decision uh, we're we're sort of we haven't fully committed to this two days here, a day yes. there. Then it's like the, the bulk of the movie takes place in the Hamptons. So the first act is basically them in the city yeah. and the movie. So it's like, all right, so we got to do this. Um, you know, we're running out of now. It's now we're into, I think, October. The weather's going to change. Right. The real life is showing up. Kids are back in school, that kind of thing. So we're like, all right, let's pick a week. We'll go out to the Hamptons. We'll do six days. All right. And we will just commit and we'll do, you know, 18 hour days. We're going to go just finish the movie. movie, finish the movie. And that's what we did. And that is where the rebirth happened. Um, you know, it's a, as far as Aaron, myself, Will, Nick and Harrop. So a five man crew. I hope I'm not forgetting. Oh, and Aaron's wife helped out. Um, and then our cast. And we were out there all living in the same house. You know, Will would wake up early. He's like, the light is incredible. He'd wake up Matt Bush. I don't care if you're tired. I need to get a shot of you right now. Oh, awesome. And we did that. And it was it is one of the best experiences I've ever had. And then I think the work in that section of the movie really reflects it. You can see just a bunch of people. Yeah, the movie fun. comes to life. A hundred percent. The movie comes to life out there yeah. completely. And um, you yeah. even ignore the fact that uh, Carrie can't play tennis. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. Funny story about that. I'm, she so, told you she could probably. Right? In her audition. I said, look, sure. the only thing is this character is a tennis pro. Um, can you play? And awesome. she says, well, well, my father's a pro at the club. I said, great. All right, you're in. Oh, fantastic. And then when she couldn't play at all, I said, I thought you said you were, you were a good tennis player. She goes, no, I said my father was a pro at the club. Fantastic. I never lied. Oh, that's but I wanted the job. That's, I was like, oh, that's what you want, that honey. I, I mean, that. that's what yeah. you need. Yeah. Uh, and I, I haven't seen the movie in years, but I remember the movie completely. I mean, I saw it when you first made yeah. it. I remember every like, moment of it. Um, so you knew then it came to life and you had this thing. And you said it, was a it felt like a rebirth yeah. for you. Uh, and then did you launch right in? So that thing happens. It, it, I think it got, I didn't look at Rotten Tomatoes, but it got good reviews. It got good reviews. It didn't get great reviews. But what we did there, which was the interesting thing, was so we knew the iTunes thing. Yes. And then John Sloss, I'm sure you know. Yeah, uh, you John know, sold I Smile Back. Oh, us. great. Yeah, I love John. So, you know, we're doing our screening at Tribeca and it's like, well, what do you want to do? You know, we got uh, three of the small distribution companies want to meet. Yeah. And the no advanced partnership thing again. I'm like, John, I, we can't do that. Like on, on iTunes, I know what we can make. He goes, well, would you ever consider VOD, straight to VOD? And there were a couple of films, as you know, like Magnolia was doing like a VOD theatrical day and date Yeah, we did that thing. with uh, Interview with the Assassin, this movie that we'd made with okay. Neil Berger. Yeah. So 
John's argument was, let's forget about theatrical. Everyone knows theatrical is a lost leader. Right? Right. You can spend all that money on advertising and marketing just to, just to sell the other, the other revenue streams, to push the other revenue streams, right. I should say. He goes, what if we just went VOD and you get into however many millions of homes, 45 million homes, but we don't make excuses for that. We don't play it like a direct-to-DVD title. So you go on Conan, go on Fallon, oh, and say, oh, no, 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 We're, we made the decision to do this because we, the filmmakers, will make more money if we don't do theatrical. And embrace the, in your living room. So I'm on Jimmy, so the minute he said that, I'm like, that's brilliant. Because now, now we take iTunes and VOD, and then I go on Fallon, and basically I say, so here's the deal. This is why we did it. All of you guys who like my stuff, who don't live anywhere near an art house theater, Right now, if the interview's over and you want to see the movie, go on to your on-demand channel. Right. Buy the movie right now. I mean, again, that's embracing a thing that most people... The reason people want the theatrical release, there are two reasons. One, you can only get nominated for an Oscar Independent Spirit Award if it's in theaters for a certain right. amount of time. And two, it's ego. Yeah. You want, because most people... It's true, man. Most people do not go to those movies yeah. on theaters. But you were willing... You were just willing to sacrifice well, had, the ego thing. I had enough movies in theaters. Yeah. You know, if I was a first-time filmmaker, I would be like, no shot. I want to sit in the back row. I want to see that light projected out over my head in the room. Yes. And no, sometimes you have to, like, um, for I Smile Back, I know we're going to be theatrical right before we go because Sarah Silverman did something in that movie that she really has a shot at stuff. Yeah. The reviews all say she did something that special, so I don't want her... Yeah. Like, none of us want... she. Put it all on the line. Yeah. I want Sarah to have the and with the that nomination, there's uh, there's that other money that comes. Even, yeah, independent spirit. It doesn't matter. There's it feels like she yeah. deserves the chance to, to have that. But so you you do that and it works for you. Yeah, you, the thing that one did really well. Does really well. And then do you immediately do you feel did your currency change yet in Hollywood at no. that moment? Because there were there's a lag. There's a lag and there's also like again at that time no one. We're, we're the first, I'm the first person to ever go on the VOD channel yeah. and do the, the bumpers that says, hey, this is Ed Burns. Watch my new, now you and see. so what year did it come this out? This is 2010. Right. Because I was watching this all really closely because Mike Harrop, who made that movie, yeah. all these movies with you as like sound guy, post-production, yeah. doing all these jobs, has worked with me. I mean, basically he works with the two of us to do, for me, post-production, and he produced I Smile Back yeah. with me, produced it together, me and Dave. And, uh. He was, we, he was at that time working on Solitary Man with us and was telling us step by step exactly what you were doing. Yeah. And I was watching. And he's show. telling me about you guys, and yeah. I'm green with envy. Like, oh, what? Michael, Michael Douglas, Douglas making the big movie. Well, yeah, uh, yes, we got And it. then it's Long Island. I mean, yeah. Well, that movie was impossible to put together also. Oh, that was but great. Had, thank great you. movie. If you haven't seen that, check that out. I'm thank sure you. all your people have seen all your stuff, though. Yeah, you never know. But, but they're still sending you screenplays. The, the like recent podcast, ago. I was like, you had to go off and say, Enough. Well, I stopped saying it, and then the guy, yes, a guy sent yeah, me the thing. Yeah. Come on. Uh, but, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I was going to say is that I was hearing about it, and I remember thinking, that when I say this was inspiring, I remember looking at the movie we were making, and I knew um, at the time we had, you know, one of those uh, financier, look, I'm very grateful we got the money to make the movie, but it was one of those things where it almost didn't come out in theaters. Mm. If a review didn't, you know, we played in t- Toronto, we were lucky Variety gave it an over-the-top positive review, which gave a little bit of wind in people's sales. Yeah. And then maybe it was going to come out in one theater. And then the New York Times review was so good that it expanded. But I remember the whole time thinking, God, if we had found a way to make this movie for $300,000, 
we would have had total artistic freedom. We did have pretty much artistic freedom, but I, I was like, Eddie has reinvented this. If he can do it again, I like, I saw the way I was yeah. like, if he can do it again, he's made a new model. I mean, there's no way we would have made I smile back or thought I, there's no way I would have believed we could get that movie made for under half a million dollars. If I hadn't seen what you were able mm. to do. Yeah. Um, I think the thing you have certain advantages, the rest of us don't in that. I mean, I have some of the ones that you have in that between you and your wife and your social circle, you can get locations in a way most people can't. Yeah. You just have a big world. Yeah. Um, but I would, I would argue I did not have a big world during Brothers McMullen. I had right. a minuscule world. So I think depending on the story you want to tell, like... Yes. If you're... I agree with that. You live in upstate New York in a farm community. You, 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 know, you know the guy at the... But yeah, but the first thing I think... That is what I'm saying. I agree with you. The first thing I think now when Dave and I have an idea for a movie, like before we think about... The, the first thing we think is, can we make this movie on a very low budget? If, mm. if we have to, how can we... And can we do it? And, and I would say it wasn't, you know, not, I remember watching Nice Guy and thinking, oh, Eddie really figured this thing out. And this is a good movie. Uh, but it's limited. It, you could see in a way that you had um, made it tailored for this yeah. concept. But then when I watched Newlyweds, it was like, Eddie, the thing he's always wanted to do his whole career, I mean, he did it. Yeah. And you did it in this new you did it in this new way. Yeah. And so had you decided after Nice Guy, all right, I'm just going to write the next movie and sort of write it as big, because that's a movie you could have made for $25 million yeah. with movie stars. Yeah. And instead you made it with two women who became, I mean, Caitlin, who's become just a very big, important person on yep. television, yep. and Carrie, who, who also is, and you. Um, did you consider when you wrote that script, you had to know that you wrote something that you had to know, or I wonder if you knew you wrote something that would re could really resonate with a lot of people. I, well, a couple of good stories connected to it. One was, um, for a lot, you know, my favorite film that I've, uh, that I've made is my movie Sidewalks of New York. Yeah, great. Like, that's it's one in my movie. head, like... Yes. Is that second or... That's the fourth. Third. Okay. Um, that's the one where, like, you know when you write something and you have a mental image of it and yes. you had... and you it, never get it. it you never get almost it. almost never get it out there. Sidewalks is the one that was always closest to that. And the yes. cast, you know, like, Stanley, like, I just... I mean, I saw that movie in a movie theater, oh, so, okay, yes, yeah. yeah, of course. So, that, 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 so I've always, like, you know, that's the one I would love to do a sequel to or a companion piece to. And I wrote one called Under Blue Suburban Skies, which was basically the Long Island version of it. Right. You know, six people in the burbs doing the interviews and that thing. And the funny thing about that movie, when that comes out, you know, now every TV show has the, you know, the, the man Talk, on the street sure. interviews and all that. When that movie got reviewed, people were like, what, what is which this one? device? Sidewalks. But, but you use the device. Um, well, in, in Newlyweds. So in Newlyweds. Basically, so with so. When I was writing Newlyweds, I was like, you know what? I want this to be the companion piece oh, to great. Sidewalks. Right. So I'm just going to kind of craft a script that isn't a sequel, but I'm all the same rules that I had set up for the documentary crew when the interviews took place, where yes. they would be allowed to follow the people. I'll use that sort of same template. And originally, I had, instead of it being about single people, it was going to be about three sets of couples. And then early in the writing of it, I decided to kill off the third couple. So then it just became... You know, the newly wedded couple, me and Caitlin, and then um, that actor, Max who's, Baker, who's awesome, who's so great. And then Marsha. They, they, they were the, yes. we were the two couples that survived. And did you have the sister in your head in the beginning? I always had the sister. I knew that I wanted, because that quite honestly came from, um, um, why, am I, uh, why am I spacing? Uh, oh, Woody, uh, Hannah, or, right. Street also Park. Hannah. 
Ha- yeah, it may yeah. come from Streetcar, but it's also in yeah. Hannah. I had right, seen Streetcar, and I was like, oh, you know, Brando and, yes. and Stella, and then the you know the crazy sister comes on and turns their life upside down. So I right. knew, like, I just liked that device. I was like, all right, I'll do the comedic version of that. That's kind of one of the places where I started. So then, you know, writing that script, I knew, all right, pseudo-doc, so I can go handheld. Um, so that can free me up to kind of go all over the city. And while you were writing, what made you make the decision around that time to bring your audience really into the process? Because there was a pressure that I, I, I wonder about this. Like, I did it on Billions, but not when we were writing it, like while we were in pre-production. But when you, starting with Newlyweds and then certainly with the ones after, you brought your whole Twitter, all your whole social media world really into what yeah. you were doing. You were like, I had a good day of writing today. And yeah. you started talking about what you were doing. What was that like? What was that about for you? And, and how did that help? Was it scary? It did. It did. You know, um, Ted Hope, uh, great producer, great producer, produced McMullen, and she's the one with me. Uh, we had lunch sometime when I was shooting Nice Guy Johnny, and he said he had just gotten on Twitter at that time. I yeah. think, and he had this theory about like indie rock bands that you know uh, they have fan clubs. So he goes, you need, indie filmmakers have to start looking at indie rock bands and thinking about fan clubs. And you have to build an audience of 500 true fans. And then he changed it to 5,000 true fans. He goes, what you need is those 5,000 people out there, they will do the work for you. Like, think about how we got turned on to bands when you were a young kid. Sure. You handed me a tape and said, trust me, you got to listen to this. Hey, think about how Tarantino or Steven blew up, right? Those things were people going, holy, I just saw this movie, you're not going to believe it right so he's like and now with this twitter what you'll do is you can have a meaningful engagement with them like they're going to ask you a question you can answer them back and like really they will be your true fans and the other thing i remember when he said that i was like light bulb went off i was like that makes a lot of sense yeah and i can remember i'm still in hunter college i'm walking uh down sixth avenue near the waverly theater when it was the waverly theater now the ifc and um i'm behind spike lee and Spike yeah. is walking with some girl. And I'm a kid in film school. And all I want to do is run up behind him and ask him 25 questions about sure. how he made She's Gotta Have It. But I just didn't have the balls to approach him. Life-changing movie for me, too, by yeah, the way. Right? Life-changing yeah. movie for yeah. me. No, no BS. Like, yeah. changed my direction of my life in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but I don't do it. Oh, you don't? I don't go up to him. I'm, I'm you know, he's on a date going to the movies. Yeah. I'm not going to bug the guy. So I was like, you know what? I bet you let, let Twitter be that opportunity. For That's people, great. if you're walking behind me now, you can just tweet me and say, "Hey, look, I'm doing my student film. Uh, I want to shoot on this camera. What do you think? Or what did you use for this? Or do I need that?" So that's what I started with Twitter, and then the more I did that, I, I enjoyed that interaction with them. So when I was finishing up Nice Guy Johnny, we—I'm trying to think—was Johnny where we did a newly song? You did the po- when newly newly you did, did the, the poster, poster and, and you, but you would also tell people, "I'm writing about marriage. I'm writing yeah. about." Oh, I wrote to them. I said, all right, what's the, all right, so I'm writing about newlyweds. What was the first fight over? Yeah. Oh, that was funny. Yeah, I, I did write, what was the first fight over? And everyone wrote something about a family member. And that, while I was writing it, that's where I was like, oh, they're not separate couples. They're related. Oh, that's so Twitter how, helped you figure that out yeah, in a way. Yeah, that's, that's how, how Marsha and Caitlin became right, you sisters. weren't trying to keep the outside voices out. You were willing to say, all right, I know I have my own... Like, I know how to listen to my own creative voice yeah. to pick and choose. And so you were, like, letting it in, in yeah. a way. Yeah. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, then, I, then I was like, all right, how about I need a character name? Give me some character names. And we named some characters. I, gave, I did a little thing where I was like, I need a line to end this scene. Um, and I told them basically what the scene was and the situation. And people tweeted in lines of dialogue. And one woman, gave, I didn't use the whole thing, but like she kind of got close. So I said, hey, yeah, I'm going to use some version of this. Um, right. Did you invite her to like... Uh, we invited... I don't know if we... She, I'm trying to think. Did you, she are you told her like, I did your thing? Well, oh, yeah. No, absolutely her, like, told her and all that. Like, whatever. Yeah. But the, then we did the poster contest. Yes. We were just like, hey, we're going to Tribeca. We need a poster. And when you finished the movie, did you know... Like, as you were making it, did you know... Because I've talked to a lot of people. I mean, I'm not the only one who thinks that's like um, your best... I mean, I, yeah, I would no, say that's that your best... Like a, I mean, that's like your best movie. Yeah. Um, but when you were making it, did you know like, oh, this is special? We was did, there a point where you felt it was special? Yeah, a bit because of the actors. You know, like, you know when you have good actors in front of you and... Uh, well, Caitlin and Kids like, great, amazing in yeah. the movie, right? So we were just sort of like, oh, this really, this feels good. Um, and the other thing which was fun about that one, that's when we shot, again, 12 days, $9,000 in the can. What do you, how? We, oh, the story of how this came to be is crazy. All right, so... Again, I'm, you know, I'm online. I read something about people shooting commercials now on the Canon 5D. Wait, so I just want to say, so you'd made money from Nice Guy John. Yeah. So you, did you say to yourself, what a Morgan or but did you say, okay, I'm going to now use this to make movies? I or? said, I'll, I'll never make another, no one will ever read another one of my scripts. I'll write my stuff. That's what I'm saying. I'll you decided finance. I'm making movies. I'm done. I'm yeah. doing my thing my way from now on yeah. because I can. Yeah. I can earn money. I have an audience. I'm going to take that 5,000 people and I'm going to grow them my, my way by my own standards. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I knew also, you know, I mean, it was funny at that time, you know, because you were talking about, our, could, you know, we, we sometimes look at our films and say, can we make it for $300,000 and should we? I kind of made this list of compromises that I posted in my, in my writing room. And one was, all right, here are the compromises that I'm going to make if somebody cuts me a check to make my movie. You know, so anybody gives me a million, two million, ten million dollars, I got to take their notes. I got to listen to the, potentially the, uh, they're going to choose the music. They're going to change the title. Uh, I'm going to have to cast people I don't want to cast. Uh, all the things that have happened to me on the movies where someone wrote me a check. So I listed those 10 things. Then I wrote the list of compromises that I have to make if I'm making a, a you know, micro-budget movie. I'm not going to have a movie star. Odds are it won't play in theaters. I can't have any big set pieces. I can't afford extras. You know, all of the, I can't do driving shots. No steady cam. All that kind of stuff. And then I would just sort of, as I was about to sit down and write, I said, all right, which list of compromises you want to work off of for wow. the next project? That's so empowering, dude. Yeah. That is like, I mean, it, it makes you sick sometimes uh, uh, when you really do think about the ways in which you have to compromise if you want to play that other game yeah. and you don't have a huge commercial track record. Yeah, yeah, big time. Um, so then you said, okay, I, I, there's a new camera that I can new shoot camera. on. New camera. So I call up Will. He goes, yeah, yeah, people say it's great. I haven't used it yet. I said, well, look, why don't we jump on the train? We'll go up to B&H and we'll buy one. Right. And again, I'm, now at this point, I've written most of Newlyweds. So, and my character played a personal trainer. So we buy the camera and the camera, maybe $1,500. I mean, it's a still camera that shoots video. Yeah. Um, so we buy that. I have like a, uh, on Nice Guy Johnny, we had these weird like audio packs where you could record audio on a flash drive. Yeah. And you, so it wasn't sync sound, you know, it was like, so we had that. So yeah, it's like, like you're basically one of the great things about video is sync sound. Yeah. And now, you know, now, now we got to go back to film. No sync sound. Yeah. So it's basically, it looks like an old Sony Walkman. So I had that with a lavalier mic. I put on a sweatsuit. I called my buddy whose gym I still use 
the Live Well Gym if you're in Tribeca. Uh, I said, Daryl, I got to shoot this scene for uh, an experiment. Is that when you and Mark shot, like, you training him for the... Is that his name, Mark? The, oh, no, the uh, um, no, no, it's, it's the, before that, there's a scene where I'm just on the phone. Yeah. I was like, in the script, I got one half of a phone call. I think when I call Kerry or something yeah. like that. So I was like, well, let's go. No lights, still camera, this crazy Walkman in my pocket. We shoot half of a phone call, dump it into the final cut, look at it, let's go make a movie. I'll, set, I'll, finish, I'll, I'll finish up the script real fast and let's go. And that's how we shot the movie. I mean, this, this is behind the scenes... Uh, photographs where it's, it's Will Rexer holding a little tiny camera and that's it and two actors and me right no lights no lights no, no nothing. nothing the sound was like and, a lav and I, you know I mean another crazy thing you know I'm watching some reality television I was always like how the hell did they get into that restaurant why would the restaurant let them in with this giant and what's crew? the answer and they just do I guess they you know like but they're recording sound my thing was like all right, they can't, you can't have buy a lot out of lights. The, but you can't buy out the restaurant is the thing. No, you got to so, just be in there. Play, so we didn't buy out. So I would go to you know places where I eat every day yes. in my neighborhood, and be like like Walkers, Jerry who owns the place. I said, Jerry, I'm doing this scene. Can we get the back room corner table? We'll be about a half hour. If you could just turn down the music for a half hour. Oh, don't worry about it. Whatever you need, just make sure you put oh, a name of the great. place in the credits. Right, and then you do it. And then we do it. And so you made that. Would you make so nine thousand to get it in the can? To get it in the can. And that basically like, was the cost of the camera, food, and whatever transportation an actor needed a cab here, a cab there, and that's it. We didn't pay for anything else to get it in the you can. You paid your crew. You had to pay your no. It was three. It was me and Will and Will and, then, and, and you Give people pieces in the movie. Oh, so what we did back I'm to not, the indie yeah. rock thing. Yes. On Nice Guy Johnny, Newlyweds, and the third one for Joe Family Christmas. Yeah. Um, we set it up like you're a rock band. So, like, you're going to get together and rehearse with the band. You're all going to chip in and cut that EP. No one's getting paid, but everyone owns a piece success, of the success, everybody gets something. So that's what we did. Everyone got a piece. Um, and Newlyweds was a hit. Oh, that's a hit movie. Oh, for yeah. sure. So everybody that, made money on yeah, that movie. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a reason. I remember playing in Tribeca and being there and just going, like, Eddie did it. He, yeah. He's all the way back. I mean, it was that moment. So... You go from there. I have so many questions that I wanted right. to ask you that we're not we're almost done because we're we've gone an hour already. But um, but you you do this all you you re sort of um, it's real hard to make it. You make it twice basically. You've and by this time truly on your own terms because you then don't go try to take big acting jobs. No, nope. you decide like I'm doing this thing, uh, and you do it and you commit to it and you you know you had this. Well, I wonder. Do you know that those movies inspired a lot of people? I, I, the way I, knew that from, I knew from Twitter that people were like, holy, holy shit, you can do it. And the, the, I think the two things like I was like, oh, you can make micro-budget movies. And then also the idea of forgetting about theatrical. Like, I know that, that definitely, like, that whole VOD iTunes thing. But do you know people say, like, oh, can we, is there a way we can do this, like, an Eddie Burns movie? Oh, I mean, oh really? I didn't yeah, know Yeah, like, I hear that all the time now, and we huh. talk about it, and I know people do. Because especially, like I was going to say, Nice Guy Johnny, which is obviously a good movie, an entertaining movie it does feel like a small movie because mm. it's three. It's yeah, 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 yeah. Three people with yeah. a cameo from the guy from the next You know, it's a tiny little <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Nullius is like a movie. Yeah. I mean, you watch that thing and you feel like you're really want, you don't feel the cost of how you, you don't, like um, the movie gets no demerits for how you shot it. Yeah. It feels like the way it was supposed to be, it's unified, it's a yeah. full movie. And so I do think that you've had this, this impact. But so you do this thing how does that lead you? Because what's so interesting to me, people often, um, you know, ask these questions to people who do these things that, that we do. And um, 
and they might think there's a permanence to it. Like, okay, well, if you do that, you've then made a decision. You're going to be sort of like a minor league figure. Yeah. But now you've turned it and you're writing, directing, starring, and producing in a show for, um, for TNT, for TNT. Yeah. And, uh, and I wonder a couple things, one about the decision to deal with some of those compromises yeah. and also about what made you be ready to sort of say, okay, I'm going to try to now do this in a mainstream way again. Like, yeah. what was your thought process about that? Well, it's funny. So the third one we do like that. We make three movies in a row. The yeah. Nice Guy, Newlyweds, and then this movie, Fitzgerald's Cheryl, Family yeah. Christmas, which was a little bit more expensive. That all-in was a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, you'd made all the It didn't matter. It didn't matter, yeah. And the, again, it did well. It's a big cast. I mean, it's a bigger big cast, cast and all that stuff, yeah. But that was one where the, maybe because it was bigger and we were going for a different thing, at the end of that, that was a tougher movie to get made. And I felt like I can't do this forever. Well, you wrote a more, there was a different kind of ambition at play in what you wrote in that yeah. movie. But it was also, I, I, I'm trying to think of like what would be the indie rock analogy. But like at a certain point, you got to swing for the fences. You got to write, you got to go for Born to Run. Well, yeah, no, yeah, it's like a life's rich pageant. At some point, Michael Stipe had to let the lyrics be heard. Yeah, yeah. They brought a Don Damon <laughs> to produce Dick Mellencamp albums, and they were like, all right, Michael, you know, you got to be audible now. You're yeah. Like, we're going to make, have the guitars crunch, and we're going to like, do this so yeah. but you're so trying a, to do that on Fitzgerald a little bit you're saying uh, no no so on Fitz, after that one I was like all right I did three in three years and, and we got really good reviews they've all made money right. but if I go back to the well one too many times I'm gonna get burned and also I then you know those that list of compromise I was like I was antsy to tell a bigger story did you feel like your fans were still gonna would have been with you if you made enough like could you feel this audience growing of people who dug these movies yeah. And so you, I could have, I guess, gone for it, but, but I just creatively. So it's actually creative. Creative. You're saying. Creatively, you were just like, I've now, I've proven this to myself. Yeah. yeah. And I got, I kind of got back a little bit, and sure. I, you know, I mean, I, I could feel like, you know, I remember it's one of those funny things, and you know, it's it's silly, but I was having, I had to go out to L.A. for something and yeah. have breakfast at one of those places where everybody in town has oh, breakfast. That's great. And, you know, like, I won't name drop, but a couple, like, now, heavier hitters. Like, suddenly Scott, Rudin, suddenly Scott Rudin's way Hey, I you. read the review in the Times for Fitzgerald's. I'm definitely going to watch it over the holidays. I was yes. like, oh, okay. I haven't felt that in a long time. So there was a nice, you know, you like the pat on the back. Sure. And it, it's, a, it's such a funny town. Yes. It's crazy. Uh, it's crazy. great. Of course. Because the truth is, if you can... Anybody at any scale who actually can prove that they can make money... Those guys will. They know it's like, oh, that guy solved a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so like suddenly you had this other kind of currency. Yeah. So what'd you decide? So what I do? So I go back to my baby. I go back to the big cop script. Right. And I take that and I rewrite it as a contemporary movie. Um, oh, and you I changed so the title. It was called On the Job. Now I called it The Chief of D's. And the, the you know the Michael Douglas character now was I, I needed to find that actor again. And um, while I was putting that together, I'll say we went out to somebody. Uh, it took forever. I, I was reminded of that again. I was like, oh, I forgot. When you go to movie stars, even if you know them, right. don't expect an answer for six months. Right, because what you had found for yourself in that other thing was, hey, Aaron, Mike, let's go make a movie yeah. tomorrow. You're sitting there on the street shooting, and now you got to I'm back in the again. thing. Oh. And I was yeah. like, so then while I'm in that waiting game, I get a call to act in this Frank Darabont show. Uh, Mob City. Yeah. To play Bugsy Siegel. 
So I was like, you know what? Why not? I haven't, you know, I hadn't, quite honestly, I hadn't thought about TV a little bit because, you know, I'm a huge Sopranos fan, huge Mad yes. Men fan. I, I didn't think about creating a show. But you thought I would take it. Yeah, maybe I'll take a job on a show if it's a great a, thing to yeah. do. Yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't one of those people like, oh, absolutely no TV. I was like, yeah, Frank Darabont, you know, 1920, yeah, 1940s gangsters, I'm in. Right. So um, I show up day one on that set. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, how much money does he have to make right. this show? I mean, we got five cameras, cranes, steady crams, oh, yeah. period cars, but my suit is a couple of thousand dollars. And then for the however many weeks I'm out there, we shot six episodes. I never saw a single executive come up and stand behind him at the monitor. Total creative freedom. Right. But, you know, the executives who did show up, a guy named Michael Wright and Lilla McCarthy, were great and, you know, just wanted to hang out and say hello. And my last scene, Bugsy gets killed. And they basically say to me, oh, it's a shame you got killed. You know, we would have loved to have kept you around. You know, would you ever consider doing another show? I said, yeah, I had a really good time. And they said, well, but not as an actor. Would you ever create a show? And I said, yeah, I mean, that, that would be fun. They said, because, you know, we want to kind of move TNT in a different direction. We want to compete with FX and AMC. Right. And this is the first show that we're doing sort of the more prestige kind of uh, cable TV. Um, so they said, do you, do you have any ideas? And I said, well, you know, I got this one idea I've been trying to get made forever, the, the cop idea, um, which was still out to that actor. And I said, I got another one. You know, I mean, I tried to get three different movies made about the West Side, my leg story, my stoolie story, and a turn of the century uh, Irish gangster story. So I said, and I got a couple of different ideas about Irish gangsters. So they were like, well, look, both sound great. Why don't you come back in the fall um, and pitch us? So I was like, all right, good. So I go away for the summer and I start to think about, well, what is the show I want to do? And I say, well, why don't I just marry the two ideas? Right. Why don't I take two families, a family of Hell's Kitchen Irish gangsters, the Pattons, I called them, named after a buddy of mine who's my cousin who's a retired cop's old partner, and then um, the cops, the Muldoons. Right. And they will be linked by, through marriage, one of the gangsters married one of the cops, uh, the women. Set when? Set, so that was the thing I was looking for. You know, I, I didn't want to do, I knew I wanted to, do, to go period. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the stories I wanted to tell, you know, I kind of, I described the show as more like New York folklore. You know, I'm playing with these archetypes. I want it to be more, feel more like a Western as opposed to, it is 1957 in the spring. He was in office. This was the right. mayor, and this is what happened. So I kind of looked at, well, a lot of the stories that I loved were sort of these post-World War II cop stories about when, you know, the cops kind of worked hand-in-hand with the gangsters. Yeah, it was when uh, if a kid was misbehaving, they would, they would, like, not in the way they beat people up now. They would... They would yeah. Be, you know, in front of his parents, they'd smack him around, bring him home to his mother and father. Yeah. And I always heard stories from, you know, from my cousins and my dad and my uncle. Like, they said, you know, the thing you got to remember about the city back then is we all lived in the city. Right. So the cops, like when you grew up in Hell's Kitchen, you know, half your friends became gangsters, half became cops. You know, you so, must know Arthur Nascarella. Yeah, 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 I know. So my buddy Arthur, he's an amazing guy. He's been in Another a couple cop. of my movies. Yeah. And he was an Italian cop, but... He grew up in Harlem then, Italian oh, kid, and he would tell me the problem. stories yeah. of uh, the cops smacking him around, yeah. but like half his buddies became yeah. the one. That, so yeah, I know this is all true. I mean, I know what you're saying is the way that these guys... Yeah. So that was sort up. of, that's kind of the world that I wanted to play with. Right. Um, and did you write it? Or you so so I sat it? down and I was like, you know, so you're supposed to come up with your pitch. Yes. And I pitched enough TV shows in the past 
uh, just for money. Like, all right, let mm-hmm. me let me pitch a mm-hmm. show to ABC, and you pitch, and then you get the notes, and you you know that whole thing. So I was like, but I like writing, so I was like, why don't I just write it? I'll go in and pitch, but when I finish the pitch. I'll just hand them the script. Awesome. Because I don't, you know. That's a huge, that is, uh, you know, that's Dave and I, um, with Andrew Ross Horgan, the three of us, I mean, we wrote billions on spec. Yeah. The same thing. We were just like, you know what? Let's not pitch a TV show and then give them the chance to buy it and not make, let's actually write the show. And if you're a feature writer. Yeah. When your scripts are, you know, anywhere from 100 to 140 pages. And I looked at the length of one of the Mob City It's 42 pages Right, you were like, I can bang out long. 55 pages. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> in two weeks. Yeah. So, I not mean, to make me, light no, of it, No, it took but, us a lot longer to yeah, write this one, but yes. I fell in love with that hour. Like, I was like, oh, wait, this is... Yes. I, I like telling, trying to tell a story in this. And I kept mine at... Like, I was like, you know, because it's not... We're not HBO, TNT... It has to be 42 Right, minutes. we're a Showtime show, so we can be any time yeah, uh, close to an hour. No, yeah. the, but exactly right. No commercials. But you knew where you were. We knew what, what the length needed to be. So you just said, I'm writing this. So I which write is an it. investment. I mean, for, you know, it's, it, it, it is was, asking yourself for humiliation. I mean, you, you know, it makes the rejection much more painful in a way. But my thing was like, if they don't buy it as a show, I'm going to turn it into a feature and go try and get it made. All right, good. <laughs> you know, like that was where my head so was. So you wrote it. So I wrote it. And then, um, you know... Uh, Every summer, um, I'm still friendly with Steven Spielberg from Private Ryan. Every summer, at the end of the summer, um, I see him uh, on Long Island. Oh, how nice. So, That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, end of the summer, barbecue, see Steven. What are you up to? I said, oh, do you remember? Like, I'm Ryan, and I wrote that script on the job. I said, I just want to let you know that in, in one of the, there was a chapter uh, in that script. Because, again, that script spanned, you know, 15 years where the cops worked in a division called Public Morals. Oh, uh, um, you mean the script that Stephen commissioned, so yes. he owned. Yeah. Right. But he, I got it back I years did. ago. But I yes. said, you know, I said, you know, that, that chapter, I pulled some of that, uh, some of the ideas from that and kind of put it into the, the world of this show. Um, and he said, uh, he said, great, well, you know, I'd love to, to take a look at it. You know, um, who are you doing it for? I said, well, you know, I'm taking it out to pitch TNT in October. And he says, oh, you know, well, I, we have a show on TNT. Who are you talking to? I said, Michael Wright. He said, Michael Wright's a buddy of mine. He goes, well, let me read it. So he reads it over the weekend. On Monday, he calls me up. He says, why don't we do this with you? Oh, that's great. So then in October, when we go out to pitch, we don't go to TNT. TNT comes to Stephen's office. Right, and that better, was... Nothing better than that. Yeah. And that was really, I mean, you know, he's been, he's the executive producer on the show. He's been sort of a mentor and a godfather for me through this whole process. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, we did, we shot the pilot and... And then you decided you were going to direct every episode of the show. Because uh, I know a, a, a mutual buddy was going to maybe direct yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you decided you were just going to direct them all because you had this vision for years and you just wanted to tell the story. There was a scene in the, thir- the fourth episode uh, that I have probably written into seven different scripts. And when my dad worked in public morals, he worked uh, on what they called the pussy posse, right. which was basically locking up hookers. Call girls and streetwalkers. And the story Listen, guys at Grantland, you can't bleep. I'm going to tell you right now, we're not bleeping <laughs> that word. He said pussy, just let's all deal with it. Um, and the stories, as you can imagine, you know, uh, late 1960s, 
Times Square streetwalkers. Yeah. I mean, the stories are fantastic. It must be, yeah, incredible. So I've written a version of this one particular story. Where, over and over. Over and over. I'm like, yeah, oh, what's the story? I didn't get that movie made. So basically, it's like, you know, part of the deal was, you know, it was like there was, let's say, a quota to be yes. filled. You need two girls on this night. You know, like they got a complaint. So you go down and there's 20 girls and they all know the public morals cops. And it's like, all right, girls, we need two of you. Who's coming? Wow. And they're like, oh, I went last time. Okay, all right. And so you two are coming. And then they're like, will you please take us to eat before? And the cops would take them to eat. You know, go get a sandwich, go have a beer, do that, and then take them down to night court. And, you know, he said they were all yeah. crazy and, you know, it was very just real characters. So that was the scene. And, you know, our mutual buddy, that was that scene. Was in an episode he was going to direct. He was going to direct. And as we were, get, you know, I, I directed the pilot in the first two. And just thinking about, wait a second, I don't. Because I, we started to cast it. And I started to see the scene being played through casting. And I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm not directing that episode? Right, I can't. And I just said, I can't. And I called up Steven and I said, look, I think I should direct all these. And he said, I thought that since day one. This oh, that's is your great. show. You know, you, you have a, such a clear vision for this. Um, you know, I've got your back. So we called TNT. And fortunately, you know, they had seen the first three episodes and saw that, you know, what we were doing. Um, and, you know, fortunately, let me direct. All I mean, what an amazing thing and a career and, and life you've been able to build for yourself, dude, to be able to, you know, say, all right, I'm going to go make these movies for nine thousand dollars. And then the other side of it is Steven Spielberg saying, I got your back. Uh, yeah, 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 and yeah. You stay like centered and grounded and just trying to do the work every yeah. day. You still write every day. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, now well, you're shooting, the first time shooting while the show, I'm cutting, which... it's the first. But the editing is the last rewrite. Right. Yes. So oh, it's my yeah, it's my favorite part. Yeah. And um just uh, thank you for doing this. Like we should definitely do this again when uh, you're about to do season two because I really want to know at the end of all this what it feels like for you. Um, and man, you you've uh, really been an inspiration for a long time. I love your your work. I can't wait to see Public Morals. Thank you, man. Uh, let me just officially uh, apologize for the line Dave and I wrote in Rounders about your wife, uh, <laughs> and just say we didn't know you then and yeah, yeah, her yeah. and. Uh, uh, thanks a lot for, for doing this. Can't wait to watch the show. Awesome. And as payback, I have to plug my book or my publisher will kill me. Oh, right. yeah. Which, by the way, you sent me, but um, I've been making I a know, show, no, no, so no, I, no. there's no way to read. I so it's, read it. it's, it's just called Independent Ed, and it's a look at the 20 years of trying to scrape together all these movies. So if you, if you, if you heard something here you want to know a little bit more about, go get the book. Yeah, I can't wait to read the book. It's uh, right. It's at home next to my bed. But I, every night when I, I get home, I'm like, oh, I got to read Eddie's book. But I've been, I mean, you know what it is. I'm working 15, no, 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 16 no. hours a day on this I haven't read a thing, thing in six months now because of this show. Good. Well, hey, thanks for doing this. Go get back Thank to you, your man. thing. I'm going to go back to the editing room. Cool. Right. Eddie Burns, thanks, guys. Watch Public Morals. When does it start? Uh, August. Public Morals in August. His book, which is called Independent. Ed. Independent Ed. And Eddie's on Twitter at. I, yeah, I'm kind of off Twitter. You don't do it anymore? No. At all? Uh, yeah. yeah I'll what about when the show comes out? I, I might have to. I just found it got too negative. Really? Yeah. Let this for next time. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. Don't let them win. You know what? I just was finding it. Um, I mean, maybe I'll go back. How, so how can you, where can your fans, do you have a website? Where no, can your fans I, I have you? a website. Yeah. EdwardBurns.net. All right. EdwardBurns.net. And uh, don't say mean things to Eddie online. That's horrible. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to Grantland.com and click on podcasts.